Good morning, Australia. Good evening, America. And welcome to everyone listening across the world today. For those of you listening live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, we have the wonderful Payo in the Philippines ready to answer your questions, reply to your comments, and send you the links for anything that we talk about in the show today. A reminder, if you miss any of our shows, please catch up on Binge Network TV's USA, on Hero Go TV USA, and on the Tony TV channel app, which is available on all Roku, LG, and Samsung smart TVs across the world. Now, I am trialing my new Rodi microphone since the other one kept messing up last week and I've got a new one so I hope that you can hear my voice crystal clear. This is Radio Tony, a conversation with Kez, our co-hosted show that's all about authors and their amazing books and stories. As you know, Kez joins me every week and she is an international best-selling author and book coach and her passion is to inspire and nurture others to tell their stories. And today we have a particularly special guest in Julie Randall, who I'll welcome to the show in a moment. But I'm actually going to hand the show over to Kez for most of the show today. I will still be here and come back and join at the end, but I'm going to let Kez do all the talking. But before I do that, here's what you need to know about the beautiful Julie Randall. This Australian Australian best-selling author tells a true story of how she was a happy, healthy wife and mother to two teenage daughters living in the picturesque beaches of Sydney when in June 2012, and Julie thought her life was perfect, she just celebrated her 50th birthday and her idyllic existence took a shocking and devastating turn. She was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic advanced melanoma handed a brochure on palliative care and told to get her affairs in order because she'd only months to live. Julie refused to crawl into bed and refused to surrender to her presumed fate. She'd watched her mother suffer a similar ordeal and she wasn't about to leave her beloved husband or her teenage daughters that needed her. She made a promise to them that she would fix it and that she would not die. In searching for answers, Julie came across an experimental drug trial taking place in the United States that showed lots of promise for her particular cancer diagnosis. But the trial was full of patients, 70 patients indeed, and for US citizens only. Through relentless appeals and sheer determination, Julie became patient 71. Gambling against all the odds, she left her family in Australia to join the trial in Portland, Oregon, not knowing if she would be able to return to Sydney. Patient 71 is a story of a woman's strength and courage, her triumph over fatal diagnosis and the underlying support of her husband and her daughters and the numerous extended family members. Readers cannot help but be drawn into the life of this beautiful family and laugh and cry along with them. Julie and her family teach us how not only to survive life's challenges, but to live with joy and laughter through them. 
Julie's incredible story has become a source of hope and strength to many individuals faced with life-threatening illness. And for the past eight years, Julie has made it her life's purpose to mentor other cancer patients. She's an international motivational speaker and has spoken at conferences and cancer fundraising events around the world. Today, Julie continues to spend most of her time in Sydney and is thankful for every day she has with her husbands and daughters. Welcome to the show, Julie. Wow. Thank you for having me. Every time I hear that, it's like, is that person talking about me? Oh, it just brings <laughs> it all back. <laughs> but yeah, you work it Absolutely, Julie. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Now, Kez has lots of things to talk to you about, so I'm going to hand over to her and listen on in the background. Thanks, ladies. Thank you, Tony. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, Kez. How are you? I'm really well. Beautiful weather over here in Perth. Just gorgeous. But first of all, I much kudos to you uh, with your um, your journey You've had a very, very big one, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I sure have. Yeah, yeah. I sure have. And I, I know what quantum- you, you mean when you talk about flashbacks. I think we've all had uh, women of a certain age have all had certain health setbacks and it all, you know, even even with the, the COVID vaccine brought flashbacks to me of polio days and stuff like that. And so, yeah, you will have those certain times that happen to you. And they're not pleasant, are they? No, they're not. And um, no. yeah, I've still got my scarf and my um, polio vaccine. Now that you mentioned that, but um, yeah, it's it it's tough reconciling that situation. But yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really I'm growing and evolving, and I'm and I'm getting there, and I'm finding reasons why. And so yeah. Mm. Patient 71, what a fabulous title. Loved it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that was your title. How, how long were you in treatment? So all up, probably six, seven years. Um, wow. Yeah, so I continued my treatment when I got back, which is all okay. sort of sort of part of the story, getting over there and then convincing the drug company to let me come back home to my family. Wow. It just yeah. seems um, unbelievable to me that you have to convince someone to help you get better. It just should be just, well, there you go, get better. You know, you have to convince someone. No, and and that's not only me, actually. That Now that I mentor patients, I, I hear it all the time, but I had to go on chemotherapy, you know, get your affairs in order, but... Mm will give you this to give you a little bit of, you know, extra time. Mm. Um, and that wasn't going to cure me and I knew it. Mm. And as the months were passing, we went to, my husband and I went to our oncologist and, you know, I I didn't want to ask the question but I had to, you know, because it actually sort of did hold everything for a while. It was, it sort of worked for a while, the chemotherapy. And I mm. said to my I said to my oncologist, so how long you know how long's this going to work for? Like when you go all tight, and he's like, oh, I think it was like October in uh, 2012, and he said, I'll put it this way, it won't be working in March, and just 
matter-of-factly like that. And I kind of, you know, put my head down, staring. I remember staring at the floor and my husband said, is there anything else? Is there, you know, trials? Is there anything? And he said, oh, yeah, you know, there's some trials overseas and that, that they're doing at the moment. They just started sort of first out of the rats type trial. And um, my husband said, well, can you refer us? Can we? And he said, no, no. I can't. You have to do that for yourself. Oh my goodness! Your heart must have sunk. That's terrible. Yeah. So how does yeah. little old me, little old me, think he can't do it? But somehow I can. But yeah. I'd I'd made a promise to my daughters. Um, they were just absolutely yeah. distraught um, the day I got home from hospital. And what was just heartbreaking is all the way home from. The hospital I was rehearsing you know how I was going to tell yeah. them you know you, you're probably going to lose your mother and mm. um and I when I told them they were just so distraught um as Tony said earlier I just said I'll fix it I'll fix it I promise mm. you know and um to my knowledge and research no one had ever survived that diagnosis at all wow so going back to the very beginning um what what alerted you to that? You know, in the book it says you had a seizure, but what alerted was it? The seizure that alerted you that there was something dreadfully wrong. Absolutely, I was. Um, I just turned fifty, and what was interesting about that was that I didn't want to turn fifty, so I did little. In my daughter made up invitations. Julie's forty tenth party. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of figured I could be 40, 10, 40, 11 and just never get out of my forties. You know, I, I yeah. thought I was very clever. Yeah. I was, I was really fit and healthy, training for a uh, over forty five state level touch football tournament that was mm-hmm. a few weeks away. There was no signs. There was nothing. I was, wow. I was literally driving to work that morning, practicing gratitude. You know, which is something I yeah. didn't do a lot. I do now, <laughs> believe you. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, I didn't do a lot then. I, I just distinctly remember I was driving along, thinking it was a beautiful winter's day, the sun was shining. I was thanking the universe for my world and my kids, and even my husband got a mention. I mean, you know, it was <laughs> it, it was a particularly good day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to work, went out for lunch down by the Opera House in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I mean, really just loving life. It was just so good. Walked back to work, walked into the office. One of my colleague, colleagues asked me what I had for lunch and I, I, I couldn't answer. And the feeling in my head in those, uh, they were seconds, they were seconds, and I just knew I was in a world of trouble. And, wow. Yeah, and all I remember is he said, go and sit, just go and sit over there, like in the corner in the foyer, and that was it. I was gone. And I woke up, my head was down, um, and just felt really, really sick. And I, mm-hmm. and then I just heard my name being call, called out again and again and again, and um, it was paramedics trying to, bring me round Mm. so yeah so that was that was 
the first sign of it and uh, then like, the big journey the and then mm. rushed rushed off to emergency mm. uh, next minute my husband turns up and he's like oh look, everything's going to be all right you've just been you know celebrating your birthday and and I just knew that wasn't the case but so I had initial scans and they said yep you have a you know you have got a brain tumor and okay and we want to keep you here and we're going to do uh you know full body scans and so for 24 hours I was waiting waiting obviously you can't sleep and just thinking I hope this is just you know something simple mm. and you know a benign tumor that they can remove and um distinctly remember kids in the bed in the hospital mm-hmm. bed my husband had come back to be with me and you know he was going back to the kids back to me back to the kids and um I saw the doctor coming and it was like you know how you watch the slow motion yeah. and the steps yeah. and he had <laughs> <laughs> he had two in terms either side of him and wow. yeah and instinctively I knew he's teaching these people how to break bad news to yeah patients it's just I just knew and he came up to the bottom of the bed and he said um Julie you have tumors you have a brain tumor you have tumors in your liver both lungs pancreas lymph nodes you have, you know, stage four metastatic cancer. You know, it's not good. He didn't need to say it's not good. I actually knew that is not yeah, good. Yeah, well, that news you would suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And. Oh, my God. I know. So I. And just, you didn't have uh, a clue. You had no illness or no, nothing. Ab- nothing. I've, I, was, <sighs> I know. So that is really scary, really scary. Yeah. And, um. And then the doctor tried to say, uh, you know, we need to give you some scripts. And and I jumped out of bed. I had the hospital gown on. Yeah. And I just started running. And I oh. and my and my husband's picked up my bag and ran after me. And I just went. And I, I I got in the lift and I went down. And I'm like, I didn't even know where the car was. I'm like, where's the car? And um, you just can't imagine the shock. You're okay one day, the next yeah. day you're dying. You, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Yeah, it hasn't happened to me, but it's happened to a very close family friend and I would say that their reaction was the same. It was the, the fear that made them move. They just took off, you know, and, yeah. and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I don't know, I think we, we all just so different when we react to that sort of news. You ran. You ran for your life. Literally yeah. ran for your life. Yeah. Yeah. Ran. Ran. Ran, ran for the hills. Yeah. Ran so for when my did life. when did yeah. they they tell you that you only had the four months to live? So obviously they, you know, they knew it was cancer, but they didn't know what type of cancer it was. Yeah. So when you go through this, anyone who's been through this journey will, I know, will totally relate. It's just like this waiting game and these steps. And, you know, you go home for a week, I will give you a biopsy to see what cancer it is and then we'll wait for the results and then you go and see your oncologist. And I remember walking in and and I, so I went, I so I did have the biopsy 
went over to, um, so it, it turned out it was melanoma mm. and and I knew that wasn't a good thing. Uh, that was one of the ones I didn't want to have. Mm. And then uh, our local oncologist has kind of given us a little bit of false hope and told us that, oh, they've got a pill now that, you know, it's working quite well. And then anyway, that, to cut a long story short, that didn't apply to me. Mm. So it was just false hope. So we went over and we saw the professor, um, uh, melanoma professor, and she walked in the door and I'm waiting for her to prescribe this pill that, you know, I look back now and I think how naive were you really, but at the time you want to believe anything. (laughs) And she came in and sat down and she said, um, you know, you've got, stage four metastatic melanoma, um, there's nothing we can't help you. There's nothing we can do. Mm. Um, well, she didn't say there's nothing we can do because there was a chemotherapy that had 10% chance of mm. giving you a few months more. And with that, I got up and she had a basin in the corner. It's a really old mm. hospital, like the old-fashioned basin. Yeah. And I walked over to the port, into the basin, and I just started dry retching. And oh, all, dear. I, all I could say was, "My babies, my babies." You know, yeah. I promised them I was going to fix it. Then I get told there's no fixing this. Oh, um, Julie. I know, and it's still, yeah. as you can see, the emotions. Yeah, yeah. I look at at. I, not being in your, no one, unless they're sitting in your shoes, no one can really understand, you know, what it actually feels like. We've all had bad news, whether it be about us or our family, but no one, you know, I've never been told it's life-threatening. So really I'm watching your emotion uh, yeah. and it must have been incredibly hard. It must have yeah. been. Just, so when you, um, when you wrote your story, when you wrote it again, did it, did it bring back the fear? It brought back the fear, but it was more of like, what do you think you're doing, Julie? You've never written anything in your life and you're writing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was interesting about the journey is the fear of dying. Um, just, you know, everything else pales into insignificance. So when I was going through it, I, I remember driving to the hospital to get my brain tumour removed. You know, that was the first step. And I was saying to Mrs Universe, you get me out of this one, I'm going to, you know, I'll I'll do all those things I was always going to do. But you're making bargains. Yeah, I was making bargains. I was saying I'm going to learn that musical instrument. I was promising I'll learn that musical instrument. I'll write that book. Something inside (laughs) of me, something inside of me always thought I might write a book and create, which is quite unbelievable because I didn't ever know what I was going to write about. Yeah. And, hey, I got something to write about. So um, to answer your question, it, it, it did bring everything back and I cried a lot of tears. Mm. Uh, very healing. I, but, but very healing and, and cathartic mm. as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, was a, it's, it was such an amazing journey writing that book because mm. it just flowed like it just flowed and I remember saying to saying to myself I'm at chapter 20 and I haven't even got to Portland yet 
mm. you know, but the story had, had to be told exactly as it was told. Yeah. And so I didn't, I had to just put aside that, you know, I wasn't a trained writer or I, I wasn't even, you know, my brother reminded me I wasn't even good at English. You know, how are you going to write this book? You, thanks, bro. But um, <laughs> that, that, that made me yeah. even, that made me even more determined, you know. I'll show you. Yeah, it seems to, it uh, seems to put that switch on, <laughs> given a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I just said to myself, hey, you can, you can tell a story. Yep, you can you tell can. a story. Everyone's a storyteller. That's it. And yeah. I had a story to tell and I told it. I didn't try to overthink it or try to be a literary genius. I just I just told the story. And as it yeah. turns out, people really resonate with that because it's easy to read and I just wanted people to go, hey, this is my story. It's just you and me here. I'm going to take you on this ride, you know. Yeah. And, and when you were writing the book, did you know, did you, did you know that you would be actually um, helping other women write their story as well? Did you have it in mind? What I had in mind is um, for people to, yeah, like really dig into the fact that um, we're a lot more than we think we are in, oh, yes. in, in yes. so many ways. Yeah. And to, um, yeah, to really just really bring out the best in themselves don't put things off you know that that was the main message it's like oh, I thought I had all the time in the world yeah write a book and learn an instrument yeah. and, and do all these wonderful things I wanted to do and then the rug got absolutely pulled out from under me so I yeah I really did want to send that message to people yes it was for patients it was for yeah. people under a diagnosis but it was also for for everyone to just um live your life to the fullest, come on, like you can do it. Don't let the fear monsters stop you. And and that's what it is. And I've had the most amazing messages, a lot from patients, mm. but but a lot yeah. from just, you know, other people. Like one young girl was in bed, you know, with depression and she sent me a message and said, I read your story and I, I got up and I enrolled in university and and she hasn't looked back and Someone else had never been on a plane, never flown because they had a fear oh, of flying. Yeah. And they sent me a message saying they booked their first flight and they were getting on a plane. Like so it it it's just been the most wonderful, rewarding thing that I've mm-hmm. helped people help people do that. And um so yeah, it made made sense out of why I went through such a, a crazy ordeal. You also mentioned that um you had different personalities come out when you were writing the book. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, it was more of the different personalities going through the journey because it was too hard to cope with just in one mind, if that makes yeah. sense. Yes, and I'm, a Ge- I'm a Gemini, so there's already two of me. <laughs> so I just kind of added another one, but it was like... I had what, what what I call in the book is like the the mean monster. Yeah, we've all got them, right? Yep. And it was like, ding 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 ding. How are you going to survive this? No one else has, you know. Um, and then when it got to me taking that leap because I went off the chemotherapy and leap of faith to go to America. What are you doing? You're going somewhere and you might die there. You you know 
you'll be over there dead and your children will be over here. What are you doing? Oh. You know, I mean, seriously, that's how. And I would cry. Yes. And then as time went on, I got kind of a little bit of a wake-up to the mean monster that was just trying to, didn't know the difference between me trying to save my life and it was just trying to keep me safe in my comfort zone, really. Mm. And, yeah. I, and I, so I, I was awake up to that. So then I'd say, thank you, um, thank you, but I need to do this. It's like it's a short-term pain for hopefully a long-term gain. If I don't go, mm. there's no way I'm going to survive. If I do yeah. go, I've got a chance of surviving. And there was no long-term data either. They were just having some good results. And then the other personality, um, and then I had like a pragmatic um, really? monster. Yeah, yeah, like that would just sort of say, so they're not all bad monsters. If you look at like um, Monsters, Inc., for instance, there's some nice ones. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, there's always and, nice ones. Yeah, and, the, you know, the pragmatic one and how, how are you going to make this work financially and um, your husband's business and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of had to, you know, get centred and navigate that. And then, of course, you know, my my nice cheer squad monster just going, keep going, you can do this, keep mm. going, mm. you know. Um, you know, the mean one would say no one else has survived. The nice one would say there's got to be a first. <laughs> it was yeah. like yeah. It, it was like a big dance going on. Yeah. You sort of, sort of want to stop and say, hang on, one at a time, please. <laughs> yeah, shush, shush, shush. You know, <laughs> it, it was yeah. that, Absolutely like that, and it was hard to get any peace. Really hard. Yes. But yeah. I did get I did get into yoga and meditation. Oh, that's well. great. So it also deals the book you've written. It deals with the sensitive topics you wrote about with the multiple personalities, but also um, you said something in the book about the power of a promise. Explain that to me. Yeah, when I promised my my girls. You know, I'll fix this. I promise. They have two girls. I have two girls. Yeah, two, yes. two girls. They're not teenagers anymore, but they were at the time. Um, I was I was brought up to keep my promises. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I think that's kind of a little bit lost these days. The old, oh, yeah, old I promise. Think so too. Yeah, but I, when I made that promise, I said to myself, "You have to do." Everything you possibly can to keep that promise, you know, and, and I did know there was a chance that I wouldn't make it. Yeah. But I wanted my girls to know I did everything I possibly could to keep that promise. Yeah. And it's also become something that I, I, I talk about today because, um, then I promised I'd write the book. Then I promised I'd, I'd, Sing in a band. I've done all those things. I've kept all my promises. I've got. I've got more. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. Like. and yeah, I just keep. You know, as soon as I, as soon as I make that promise, and I don't make them lightly. Yeah. If I make them to myself or others, I'm going to keep them. Good. For and you. and I've actually, I've actually done some research on this. Interestingly, and I think Harvard Medical School. Did mm-hmm. um, some research, and ninety eight percent of people who made a promise kept their promise. Thirty percent of people who made goals 
only 30% of people who made a goal kept it. So, right. yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. I, I think people's, like, goals have become a bit, a little bit blah, blah, you know. Yeah. Um, the I think I was brought up in the same age. Um, you know, a promise yeah. is a promise. Yeah. And my folks would always say a promise is a promise. And um, the, the dictionary is, and promise means word of honour. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it, I, I agree. I don't think today's generation realises the, the enormity or the power of a promise. No. But once you've made that definition, I promise you that I will do whatever you're going to do, I think it has almost a power to it. Yes, and we have to make it, make that power with promises we make to ourselves as well. That's right, yeah. You know, You've also said about the, um, when the surgeon told you to experience joy as it would help the cells in your body heal, um, were you in the right place to hear that at that time? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? It was, um, it was a medical biologist and he had said to me that melanoma cells are pretty much the worst in terms of um, reproducing and taking over your body and he's giving me all this, you know, information. And he, you know, is a bit of a natural healer, so he's giving me herbs and, and all sorts of things. And um, as we were leaving, my husband and I, he said, one more thing, Julie, you have to experience joy and happiness. Your, your, your body will respond. Your cells will respond. They'll know you want to heal. They'll, they'll really help you on this journey. So I'm like looking at him as if he had three heads. <laughs> you're, te- you're telling me, I seriously wanted to, uh, that I have to experience joy when I've been told that my children aren't going to have a mother in a few months. Mm. My husband's not going to have a wife, you know, a family's shattered. And he just said, I cannot stress that enough. I cannot emphasise that enough. So. I had to make myself do it. So mm. I would go and run and sing songs and, you know, put my earphones in and I had a chant that I would, um, a mantra that I would chant all the time and I would just see my family and just be joyful. If I wanted to have a drink, I'd have a drink. I'd just dance and I managed to do it. I Don't ask me how, but I did. And... Um, Every possible time. Look, get, don't get me wrong, because there was some low times, and yeah. um, and I remember, of you know, being, yeah, yeah. I was in, I was in the car with my husband one day, and we were driving along. That poor man, and I just screamed, "I don't want to die!" You know, it's um, and he's like, "You're not going to die," and you know, it was crazy because he kept, you know, every time I'd get a good result, he'd go, "Never in doubt, Dal. Never in doubt." Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was, but he he never, he never ever let on. But yeah, I I just managed this, this joyfulness. And it, you know what, it stands me in good stead today, you know, with what we're going through. The isolation, the isolation I was in in Portland. There were times when I was completely on my own Mm. over there in a very, very hard situation, not knowing whether I was ever going to come home. Mm. And, but I had to still be joyful, you know, when, when I yeah. 
Oh, just the um, practice gratitude. I mean, that, that is my way of being joyful, apart from yeah. singing and dancing. Uh, gratitude yeah. is my way of being joyful. It's getting out yeah. there and just putting your feet on the grass, being Absolutely. able to do that. Nature, mm. I love it. Love it, love it. Yeah. So you also say that um, you also wrote, and I love this about your writing, fear is an illusion. Explain that to our listeners. Yeah, fear is an illusion and danger is real. But our minds, yeah, yeah, but our minds don't really know the difference. Yeah. When you learn the difference, for instance, so I'll use the example of today, right now. Yeah. You know, every time you go and put yourself out there and you're going to be on camera or do a podcast or do an interview, (laughs) the mind starts, oh, what if you forget what you're going to say? What if um, nobody likes what you're saying? What if you know? And that's just an illusion. It's it's not real. It's mm. you know, um, it's it's catastrophizing. Yes, you know? yeah. And if the, if the mind doesn't know the outcome, it panics and starts sending. That's right. Yeah. To you. Danger is. Don't walk in front of that bus because it's actually going to knock you over and you're probably going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's rational. Mm. That's that's danger. Yeah, it's just learning um, to differentiate. Yes, too, and just not not letting that fear stop you from being the best you and and getting stuck in a personality that you think oh, is, yes, yeah. is you because it's been made up when you were 13. Yes, you know, I agree. Five to seven and, no, the amount of people that have said to me, um, oh, my God, I could never write a book. That, I mean, that's what I used to think. Oh, my God, mm. I could never do what you do and get up and speak in front of people. Mm. Yes, you could. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's just you, you'd be a little bit fearful, but yes, yes, you <laughs> actually can. Yeah, so, oh, there's um, a book inside everybody. Oh, of course, and yeah, you know, pe- people have all got a message and a story to tell, and um, I think I, I feel so honoured that out of this, I have got some messages and story to tell, and people to inspire and and even transform, and it's really taken my life into. Another direction. And you can't help but stop and think that maybe this road was meant to be. You can't, you know, I often, I know it sounds quite cruel, but um, I often think to myself, why am I doing this? You know, doing my job, interviewing people about their health issues, about their books. Uh, why do I do this? And there is really, there's just no answers. It's just that I get great pleasure and out of interviewing people and seeing their story and encouraging them to write their books. And the same way that you get the pleasure that you've written the book and yeah. that you are helping people uh, have the mental attitude of survival. Yes. Yeah, it's, I just love it. And my recent launch, so my, I, I launched in Australia four years ago. Wow. Um, and that that's the other, you know, my my passionate thing too is I would never have done that. I, w- I wouldn't yeah. have written the book. I would have taken it, you know, I, would have, I wouldn't have done it, I don't think. Um, and now I find out that I'm capable of being a best-selling author. Yeah. So how many of us have these hidden talents? That's right. You know, um, 
just waiting to emerge. And I think we all get little niggles, and I got them even before anything. Oh, we all do. Yeah, Yeah. even before anything happened to me. Oh, Julie, there's more for you to do. You know, you shouldn't. Mm. There's more. And then, boom, this happens. And um, so, yeah, because I am, I'm grateful now. I wasn't at the time um, at all. (laughs) But, (laughs) well, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, but I, I, I am grateful and I'm, yes. I'm, not, I'm nine years, nine years down the road. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing, nine years, nine years with, without the fear. Amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I don't have fear around that. I don't have no. fear of, you know, recurrence or mm. I, I've just decided that I'm not going to have that fear. I'm not going to live my life in fear. So, um, yeah. so how do you um, how do you channel the 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 confidence you have in life now? How do you channel that to people that come to you? I, I just I'm just a firm believer. I mean, it, it's not easy. Like I'm not God, so people come to me with a diagnosis or whatever. Um, I just like to I just like to calm them down and and say you know there is always hope there is yep. always hope there is so much hope out there in the cancer world at the moment a um, mm. little bit sad because COVID's taken the shine off you know research and all that yes. at the moment but um, but they are using some um, cancer medications to help with COVID now yeah yeah I heard mm. a whisper of that yeah so. Yeah, I just like to stand stand beside them and just say, look, look, that they can see what happened to me and where I am now and it just gives mm. them that inspiration. And I really, I can't prove that my mindset helped me stay alive, but I, I firmly believe that it played a big role. Of course. Because, yeah, because I only had months to live. Yeah. I I arrived in Portland nine months after my diagnosis and I was still fit and healthy. You know, I mean, I'd been through chemotherapy, lost my hair, all that sort of stuff. Okay. But my, I made sure that my mind just kept me strong so I could actually go there and have a chance of surviving. Had I, Mm. had I, had I gotten sick or, Prior, they just they wouldn't have taken me. I mean, they it took me three months to beg and plead yeah. to get into that clinic. To me, that's shocking to have yeah. to beg and plead that you you mm. know your life is going to be saved, or yes. there's a potential to have to mm. beg. That's shocking. It yeah. must have uh, made you feel terrible. Well, it did, but and I just thought you know, just because I'm not American, <laughs> doesn't mean I yes. don't. I don't deserve. And look, you don't count. Once, yeah. once they, it's you know, it's bureaucracy and the drug That's company. Right. The drug company yes. had said you, you can trial seventy patients. The hospital yeah. really had to follow that protocol, but yeah. in the end, they didn't. They they bucked the system for me, and um, that my relationship with now with the hospital and the drug company is amazing. And I do work. Mm. Both, I do work for both of them. Nice, um, you know, yeah. charity work, and I inspire yeah. the t- team at the drug company, um, mm. and I help out Providence Cancer Centre 
you know, whenever I can as well. So um, Yeah. So right through this writing journey, particularly the writing journey, what were the key points that you would like to pick off that you've actually learnt? From from writing? Yes. From writing. Writing your story. I, I just my just keeping it sequential, I guess. And if you if you've got for me that kind of just flowed and it was quite easy. I would say uh, also not to overthink mm. things. And I think people who write always got to remember there are editors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, you know, I love my editor. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll help you with your spelling and, you know. Um, I was never the best speller, but I, I blame my brain tumour. I used to be able to spell, but uh, after I had that tumour, no. But no. Um, Pick yeah. you've got an editor. Pick yeah, it. that's it. That's it. And just, yeah. um, I just, I just say, do it, and don't, yeah, and don't overthink that. What's it going to happen when it gets out there? Are people going to like mm. it or not? Just write the book. Write yeah. the book. Worry about yeah. if people are going to like it or not exactly. later. Exactly. Yeah. And let me tell you, some of the um, comments. And this is this is another resilience thing. I'll tell you this little story because it's funny. So my book's been out for about a month. I really mm-hmm. wasn't looking on. This is four years ago. I wasn't looking online at at um, anything much. And then um, I was getting lots of great messages, and I was you know a bit puffed up, thinking, oh, pretty good at this, you know. Yeah. And then then <laughs> one night I was googling, and boom, there's this review from someone called the Cozy Dragon. Um, who thought they were getting a science fiction novel, Patient 71. <laughs> and, of course, it was far from that. So they, they, you know, they absolutely, you know, slammed it. And, um, and I'm like, oh. And what's interesting is for, like, maybe 12 hours I bought into that negative yes. message. And then I thought to myself, Julie, are you going to listen to the hundred people that laughed and cried and resonated and learnt things? Mm. Are you going to listen to somebody that hides behind a pseudo name and you know? And That's right. that was a really big learning curve mm. for me as well. So it's um, you know, not everyone's going to like what you do, Kes, and you just have to accept that. Oh yeah, you do. Big time. I remember my my best selling book launch, and it was like. I was quite nervous, and I've never really been that nervous before. But it was like my publisher said to me, "Not everybody's going to like you, but most people do like what you know." Because I write, I write um, fiction, so it was yeah. like, "What do you know? What do what do I do when someone says I don't like your work, and I think your work is, is rubbish?" And you've, I have, I've had that said, mm-hmm. and it's takes it like whips the stool out from under your feet because you're standing up there thinking, "Woohoo! I've got a bestseller." And, you know, the books were flying off the bookshelf and all of a sudden someone drags that stool out and you land on your bum. And it's like, oh, oh, this is real life because yeah. not everybody's going to like you and that's part of life. It is part of <clears> life. <throat> I think the stats yeah. are that, um, you know, 10% of people, you know, 10% of people listening now yeah. aren't going to like me yeah. or, or what right. I've done. But I, another really good thing that I learned years ago that, you know, if you divide the 
wall into 30 percent 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33%, 33
Um, it said uh, reserved for research is a big sticker. Uh, I think uh -huh. I wrote in that book. I was just glad it didn't say reserved for that cereal pest from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I just, you know, I had a bee in my bonnet and I wasn't going to give up. But one of the one of the the promises I made to them yes. was I will help you fundraise, and and I did, and I helped them fundraise to get new guest housing. Um, I think they made a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and yeah. So while I was over there, I was getting filmed and um, standing up in meetings and trying to keep my composure. And because nice. you know, the the accommodation I I had to stay in. Um, wasn't very nice at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. And okay. Uh, so they, they wanted to they wanted to have better accommodations. Yeah, I suppose for health reasons Lovely also. Lady. Yes, Tony, have you got something to say, Tony? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> lovely ladies, I have been listening to this whole conversation and Julie, what a powerful story of um, healing and uh, an amazing journey. Um, I thought I'd just quickly share in the last um, five minutes of the show, um, the reason I've been quiet today is because on Monday um, we buried a very dear friend of mine um, from uh, stage four melanoma. And so wow. the story was a little bit close to home today. Oh, and I'm Tony. really grateful. Oh. <laughs> I'm really grateful that Kez could do that because it's powerful stories like yours, Julie, that we need to hear. And yes. whilst my friend was completely positive to the very end, the end was rather unexpected and so rapid that it caught us all unawares and um i i knew that we were talking to you um today and i knew that it was a powerful conversation to have and an important one to have and to show a positive of something that is generally a death sentence. Uh, melanoma is insidious and the description that you described around the way that it invades cells, it absolutely uh, is invasive. As a nurse, I remember operating on people and you could actually see the nodules within the cell and they looked like cancer. It's an evil cancer of all of them that are available so to know that you are responsible for living this healthy amazing life um, and coming on the show and being vulnerable enough to tell us about your story Julie both Kez and I are incredibly grateful that you've shared mm. with us and we'd really like to encourage people to connect with Julie number one to buy Julie's book Number two, and if you need a powerful inspiration uh, speaker for an event across the world, just connect with Julie. On the live chat, you'll find all the connections to Julie, her website, her email, and where you can get the book. Um, and Julie, just thank you for coming on the show. Um, thank you for being gracious to allow me to step aside, you, Kez, mm -hmm. and allow Kez to take the show. Um, Julie, just quickly, how old are the girls now? My girls are 29 and the little one, I call her the little one, she's just about to turn yeah. 26. And Tony, yeah. they've both, 
very strong, capable women. And um, absolutely, they have come out of this amazing. Um, Morgan, my oldest daughter, is, owns a dance school with 450 students. And oh, wow. yeah, and just going amazingly. And my little girl, Remy, who, who was. Um, she was quite anxious around my diagnosis yes. and she, she developed yes. a lot of anxiety and uh, yes. been through a bit of hell with that. But now she's turned it around and um, she's a CrossFit champion. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Wow. And she, uh, that really just helps to keep her, her mind and um, anxiety at bay and her mind strong. And um, yeah. they, you know, they could have gone either way, you know. Um, yes, yes. We've had a bit of tragedy in our family and uh, I'm yes. so, so proud of them. And your I'm husband so as well? Yes, he's gorgeous. Yeah, he's he's well. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it, I'm not going to lie, it hasn't been an easy road. We lost our, our no. home. Oh, no. No. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, that, that's another funny thing about the book. We lost our home and we had to sell it and that was awful. And we had to rent yes. a property and we moved moved across the road and it was just heartbreaking. My, my home was across the road yes. and down the street. Mm. But out the back of this home <clears throat> was a little cabin and that's where I wrote the book. Oh. Um, ah. So there was a window and a beautiful greenery outside. Yes. So I... I even managed to find a um, joy in in that. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I've got a feeling that it's all meant to be on that road. You were on the right um, road at the right time. Yeah, yes, I know. And just just being able to stay alive to get to Portland. Um, yes, I had a brain yes. tumor removed. Most melanoma patients, yes. they don't just get one Absolutely. brain tumor; they get no. sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, Multiple. I I got one, and it got removed. And it stayed away yep. until I got to Portland. Like, had I got there and had a scan and there was anything on my brain, they would have sent me back home. Oh, wow. Now yeah. they know it works on the brain, but they didn't then. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah, so I would have got sent home when it would have worked in anyway. Oh. If it's going to work on you, um, um, immunotherapy, it, it's going to work. It, it's it, it, it mm. work for you. Judy, you've uh, got an amazing story. You really do have an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you both so much. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Yes. And, Tony, I'm thinking about Lovely you. Lovely ladies. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I, you Thank know, you. yeah, funerals are just tough and he fought so hard and it was just so quick at the end that it, took our breaths away thank you so much kez for stepping in for me today julie thank you for sharing so vulnerably and openly about your beautiful story um that's our lot for this week audience this is radio tony i'm your host tony lontons my co-host kez wickham st george and the beautiful julie randall patient 21 jump on and buy that book uh, 71 <laughs> Twenty-one. Oh, that's okay. Wow. Well, see, that's your age. That's your age. Oh, <laughs> oh. you're too sweet. I'm hanging on to my fifties. I'm fifty-nine. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh. Wonderful. No, I love, I love every Dad birthday now. Well. 
Absolutely. Wonderful audience. That we are completely out of time today. We must go. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Kez. We will see you all next week for another episode of Conversation. Thank you. Bye, Bye for now. Bye. 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 Thank you.